0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 263 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm coming to you from a cold and chilly day here in Austin, Texas. For today's topic, I'm going to be actually playing the audio from an Instagram Live that I did earlier today on the Rogue Running page, talking about a pacing strategy for the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon coming up here on February 20th. I've talked about Austin pace strategy on the podcast before, but the course changed in 2018 and there are some new nuances to the course that I haven't necessarily covered on a full episode. So I'll be playing that audio, which includes details on Austin marathon and half marathon pacing strategy, as well as thoughts about how to plan nutrition, hydration, and then your mental prep for a marathon. So I think this episode is... Is applicable regardless of whether or not you're racing Austin because it'll help you think about how to think about course strategy for any course, particularly for a course that might be rolling like Austin is. So, before we jump into that audio, I also wanted to thank Inside Tracker. They are again sponsoring my episode today, and I'll be talking mid episode about my results actually from my Inside Tracker blood test. So, stay tuned for that mid episode. Otherwise, let's jump into me talking about Austin Marathon and Half Marathon Pacing Strategy. Here we go. As we jump into this conversation, we'll be talking specifically about the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon course, but for those that may not be running Austin or who may be tuning in from outside of Austin, I think there are applications when you talk about the Austin course to really any course you might face that has challenging rolling hills like the Austin course has. And so you should be able to take some of these lessons and apply them to other rolling courses as well. But as I talk about preparing for a race, I usually talk about three different areas. One is pace strategy. We'll talk about that first and probably spend most of the time talking about that piece. Then I always like to talk about nutrition and hydration strategy so that you are dialed into your plan from that perspective. And then the third part, which often is neglected in people's prep, is talking about the mental preparation. How do you make sure your mind is ready and you are fully ready to bring everything you have on race day, both physically and mentally? So we'll talk mostly about pay strategy, but I'll touch on all three of those topics. As we jump into this, I want to give you two words that I think kind of bring to bear the themes that I'd like to really hammer home in today's conversation. One is courage. The other is precision, courage and precision. When we talk about courage, I like to remind people of one of my favorite Brene Brown quotes. She says, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you can't have both, not at the same time. You can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you can't have both, not at the same time. And those that have signed up for the Austin Marathon course, which we know is a challenging course, you have chosen courage already. And I want you to lean into that courage and make sure that as a part of that, you're controlling all of the variables that you can control, particularly as it relates to your race strategy. Also remind you in talking about courage that courage is not the absence of fear. We like to think that it is because we think that if I don't have fear, then that's really what courage represents, but it's not courage is facing your fears. Courage is having those anxiety elements, having the nerves and facing them and stepping into them and by controlling what you can control taking on a course like Austin and if you are someone who signed up for the half or the full distance at the Austin Marathon then you have already chosen courage because you've chosen to tackle a tough course and a tough distance. So courage is the word word of the day number 1. Word of the day number 2 is precision. Precision executing a good race in any marathon and especially the Austin Marathon and half marathon requires focus and precision. It means you, again, controlling the variables that you can control and being very precise about how you, managing, how you manage your pacing in particular throughout the race. And so we're going to be talking today about how do you approach this course in a precise way. And to do that, I'm going to break down the course, the half marathon course into four different sections. And there's overlap with that and the marathon course and then for the marathon course I'm going to be breaking it down into six different session sections and we'll be covering each of those in terms of how you approach it from a strategy standpoint the booby traps the pitfalls to avoid by section and then of course how do I actually tackle the paces in each section in a way that allows me to progress well at the end and finish strongly so That's how we'll break things down in sections. Also, as we step into this, I'll remind you that optimal pacing strategy for any marathon and half marathon is a negative split, meaning you start conservatively and build into the race and then finish strong at the end. So, you wanna make sure that you're approaching this race, especially in that same way. And in fact, the course at Austin lends itself even more to actually a negative split type of race because of the way it starts and so let's jump into how this starts both both course and distances have the same first 12 miles essentially so we're going to be talking about these first three sections the same with similar strategies for the half or full and then they diverge from there and that's when we'll start to talk about how you might treat the different distances uniquely but for the first section you start at about 2nd Street on Congress Avenue, and then you head south towards 71, and you, in, and you increase your elevation about 250 feet in the first three and a half miles as you head south on Congress. That requires extreme patience because of how this course starts. You're going to be going uphill from the very beginning at about 70 feet per mile in terms of how the course grows over this initial section. And so you have to be really, really careful how you start this race. That's true in any half marathon and marathon. It's especially true in Austin because of this terrain to begin. So you climb 250 feet up Congress. Your goal with this first section is to shorten the race, shorten the race. You want to take a race that's 26.2 miles or a race that's 13.1 miles and turn it into a race that's closer to 10 miles for the half and 23 miles for the full by treating this initial section, these first three and a half miles as a form of warm up where you're conserving your energy and trying to make sure you start in a way that saves energy for later. Oftentimes, people talk about banking time. I don't believe in banking time in these distances. I believe in banking energy. And you have to be especially careful on these early hills to bank energy. The other thing to remember is that you are also starting amidst all the chaos of a normal start. Now, it might be a little bit different this year, depending on what the protocols are related to the pandemic. And so the the wave starts may be a little bit, more spread out, a little bit unique to prior years. But you will still have that same energy of the start where there will be a bunch of people starting at the same time, all charging south down Congress Avenue. And you, of course, have to make sure that all of your normal or realize that all of your normal senses about what pacing should feel like are going to be a little bit off because of the adrenaline, the anxiety, the energy of that start. So, I like to tell people in these opening miles to, to start slow and then slow down some more. So, start at a pace that you think is slow enough and then even slow down more so that you make sure that you're conserving energy. You're treating these opening miles like a warm up, you're not getting caught up in the energy of the start. I also like to say at the beginning of these races that if you're not being passed, if people aren't flying by you at the beginning of a half marathon or marathon, then you yourself are probably going too fast because inevitably most people will be making the mistake of going too fast at this initial section and you don't want to be doing that. So you want to see people passing you. You don't want to be weaving and dodging and trying to pass others. And Again, you want to start conservatively. So here's what that looks like. For the marathon in section one, I want your first mile to be 45 to 60 seconds slower than your target marathon pace for the day. Second mile, about 30 to 45 seconds slower than your target marathon pace. And then the third mile, still about 15 to 20 seconds slower than your target pace as you climb the hills on South Congress. There will be a time and a place to hit marathon pace but not yet. For the half marathoners, you're also going to start conservatively. I want you to start your first mile 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than your target half pace. Second mile about 10 to 15 seconds slower than your target half pace. And the third mile five to 10 seconds slower than your target half pace. Normally I would have a runner get to your target pace in this opening section of a race. But in this case, because you're still going to be climbing up to mile three and a half, you're still going to wanna be a little bit slower than target pace because the hills are going to require you to slow down in order to conserve energy. So again, you start about 45 to 60 seconds slower in the marathon, progress down to about 15 to 20 seconds slower in those first three miles. And the half marathon will start 20 to 30 seconds slow and then progress down to about five to 10 seconds per mile slower. And I know what you're saying. You're thinking, how can I do that? How can I, quote, give up that much time and still get my goal? But I promise you, you have to trust me on this. The question that I would ask back to you is how will you actually have energy at the end if you burn your matches on these opening hills? Because that's the pitfall you want to avoid avoid burning your early matches so that you have energy for the end because this course doesn't get any easier and if you start too fast at the beginning it will swallow you up and spit you out that is a promise and as an aside i've run austin actually seven times it's it's in a marathon it's the marathon i've actually run the most times including two times on the newest course, which was changed in 2018. I ran it both in 2019 and 2020. So I know this course, like the back of my hand, I've also coached countless runners. Trust me on this. Start conservatively, bank energy, not time early, and make sure you're slow on these opening climbs. So that's section one for both the marathon and the half marathon. Let's talk about section two once you get to mile three and a half you take a right turn on the 71 access road and then you take another right turn on south first and you're still climbing after those initial turns but then right after you turn on south first you start to you start to hit downhill from mile three and a half to mile six you go downhill basically losing all of that elevation that you just gained as you head back into downtown towards the river. And so now you lose 250 feet in those next two and a half miles as you come back down towards Cesar Chavez, where you'll take a left turn to head west. So as you now turn right and head downhill, This is when you can actually start to get to your target paces. And in fact, you're going to want to get to be a little bit faster than your target paces, very, very subtly so. So your goal for this section, section two, for both the half and the full is to cruise, is to find a smooth rhythm, let gravity do the work and get to a pace that is just slightly faster than your target pace. That's going to be maybe five to 10 seconds pass faster than target pace for the full marathoners and five to 10 seconds faster than target pace for the half marathoners as well in this next section. Now, it's really, really important, though, that you don't get greedy and go faster than that, which will be the temptation because this is a nice downhill. The booby trap that often gets people in this section is they go too fast. They let the downhills turn them out of control and therefore end up burying themselves because they destroy their quads in the process. The uphills on the Austin course are tough, but I promise you the downhills are actually where people really sacrifice their races. And so if you're too aggressive, Either by going too fast on the downhills, or if on the other hand you break and try to slow down on the downhills by leaning back, then that will destroy your quads, beat them up, and you're going to need the energy and power from them later. So you want to be as smooth and comfortable on these downhills as possible, hitting a pace that is slightly faster than your target, but not more than that, so that you don't destroy the quads because you will need those quads later but this is a chance after you climbed in that initial section to get to a little bit faster than your target pace and to start gaining back some of that time so that's section two three and a half to six downhill on south first and i want you to be faster than target pace but still conservative here so you don't destroy those quads for later now once we hit Cesar Chavez, we continue downhill a little bit, and then things start to flatten out from mile six to mile 10. In many ways, this is the flattest section of the course for both courses. There is still a little bit of a climb as you head up Veterans to Lake Austin Boulevard, right where that juice land is. But... Otherwise, this part of the course is pretty flat. You have flat sections on Cedar Chavez, you have flat sections around Austin High, and then you have pretty flat sections on Lake Austin Boulevard as you head out towards Hula Hut. And so this is, in many ways, the most favorable section of the course in order to hit your target pace. And it's a, a section of the course where you can actually dial into your target pace without having to worry too much About modulating on the terrain. And so, your mission in this section for both races, section three, is to relax and find a rhythm. Find a smooth and sustainable rhythm right about target pace for both the full and the half. You want to use this section to turn your brain off to try to find a rhythm. I'll talk later about rhythm mantras, but this is a section where you really want to put your rhythm mantra to work and try to make that rhythm, that pace, feel as easy and comfortable as possible. For the half marathoners, you're going to really press in the next section. For the marathoners, you've got plenty of racing still to do. And so what I want you to do in this section is just find a smooth rhythm, try to turn your brain off, and conserve as much as possible for what's to come. This is also a point in the race where you should still think Feel pretty good. We're at miles six to ten of the race for both races and this is a point where it should feel like sustainable, it should feel comfortable, you should find a smooth rhythm. And so in that also lies a bit, a bit, a bit of a pitfall, a potential booby trap. This is not where you want to push because you're quote feeling good, whether you're doing the half or the full. You want to, again, conserve, relax, stay smooth and in control. Resist the temptation to get greedy at this point, regardless of the race that you're running, because the half marathoners, you've got a really challenging final 3.1 where I need you to be pressing to the edge. The marathoners have too much race to finish. So you need to make sure that in this section, you resist all temptation to press, to go fast to get a little bit ahead of pace, to quote bank time as some people talk about. This is where you want to just conserve, stay smooth, relax, and let that rhythm feel as easy as you can. I also like to remind people in this section to smile and to enjoy the fact that you get to be out here pressing your body and pushing your body in this way. So enjoy this section, relax, smile, soak it in, Take in the fans because you've got some nice cheer sections on this part of the course and let this section prepare you for the challenges to come regardless of the race that you're racing. So that's section three. You want to be relaxing on Lake Austin Boulevard regardless of your distance. Now, before I break down the rest of the course, I wanted to quickly jump in here and talk about my partner for the episode, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a company that was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. They help you break down your blood work, your DNA information, and your fitness tracking to make science-backed recommendations for positive lifestyle and diet changes that will drive performance. I told you in a few episodes ago, about some issues that I had in my blood work after the Boston Marathon. I was able to actually now get my inside tracker blood results back and have now got evidence from them, which is good news that the things I've been doing to get my blood work back on track are working and actually, all of my performance related biomarkers are in a really good place right now including vitamin d which is an area where i have struggled in the past so it's good to see that news there were actually a few health related markers that were a little bit elevated to me which is the first time that's ever happened in terms of my lipid panel as well as my cortisol levels they were just a little bit elevated so i've got some changes that i need to make there to bring my diet in control for cholesterol purposes as well as to bring my cortisol down because I was at the time the blood was taken actually facing some stressful times related to the death of my animal, my dog. So it'll be interesting to see how that tracks with time. But the, the issues for me on this blood panel actually look great from a performance standpoint, but had some elevated health markers on the lipid panel and on my cortisol levels. So my stress levels were a little higher than they should be. So those are some things that can affect performance that I need to work on. And now I've got specific recommendations from inside tracker on how to bring those things in line, as well as of course how to maintain the other elements that I've been talking about. So I would highly encourage you to check out inside tracker for that purpose. Again, they look at your blood work, your DNA, as well as fitness tracking to give you recommendations that can help you improve performance. So to get 25% off the entire inside tracker store, you go to inside tracker.com forward slash running rogue. That's inside tracker.com forward slash running rogue for 25% off all of their products, including the ultimate test, which is what I did. So go check it out. Highly recommend inside tracker for these purposes. Now we're going to switch gears and talk about the half section four for the half which is 10 to 13.1 two of those miles overlap with the marathon so you'll still be with the marathoners until about that final mile but for the half marathoners we're going to focus on you for a section in this final section got mile 10 to 13.1 there are rolling hills as you take infield back into downtown and you have one of your biggest climbs on the course right at the end of Enfield before you turn right and take a few turns to head around the capital. So there are some tough sections here, but this is the final section. So this is where as half marathoners, you are going to press the pace, especially on the downhill parts of this final push. You've got some rollers again, so you're going to press the downhills mostly and you're going to try to maintain on the uphills as you bring things home to the finish. And what I want you to think about here if you're a half marathoner is you should be hitting paces that are five to 15 seconds faster than your target pace as you press to the finish. That is easier said than done because it's still tough, still rolling, you have some big climbs here, but I want you to maintain on those uphills, really press and push on the downhills, make sure you're taking full advantage of gravity on the way into the finish. I also remind you that I would take note of those final turns because you're going to probably be able to hear the finish line before you see the finish line as you wrap around the capital. And so make some notes, take a look at that course map so you really understand what those final turns will look like so that you can visualize that finish. But this is where you're going to press the pace. This is where you want to Strap on your superhero cape. You can be Superman or Super or Wonder Woman and press the rolling hills. Maintain on the ups. Press the downs. Try to run as fast as you can to that finish line. And once you get to mile 12 after you climb the big hill on infield, then it's time to really let everything hang out. From there, it's mostly downhill to the finish. And so you should really be able to press that final mile all the way to the Capitol and around where you'll finish on Congress Avenue at about 9th Street. So press, press, press. That's where your mental strategies are gonna be really important. I'll talk in a minute about some of those, but this is where when I talk about fight mantras, you really wanna bring your fight mantras to the forefront of your mind and press to the finish line because this is where you let it all hang out so that's section four for the half marathoners that gets you all the way to the finish line let's now talk about sections four five and six of the full marathon section four of the marathon in my opinion is probably the toughest mentally of the race because you're running for miles 10 to 18.5 and it's non-stop rolling terrain with some also, some gradual uphill false flats in this section. So it's really difficult, I think, mentally, to stay focused from 10 to 18.5, given the challenges that you face there. The first challenge is that you're going to take a left where the half marathoners take a right. So you need to mentally prepare to split off there, where you're going to suddenly be surrounded by fewer people. You're also going to be jealous of the fact that they're only a mile from the finish, and you've still got 16 miles to go. So think about mentally how you're going to deal with that split. Then you take a left on Guadalupe and you have you have some false flat in that next section. And then you've got some climbing on 45th Street before you get to Red River where you have some downhill from there but then rollers all the way through to I-35 when you cross over to the east side and one of the most difficult Hills on the course from my perspective as a marathoner happens right there from 18 to 18 and a half as you climb Dean Keaton, Dean Keaton over to the east side. So this is a really difficult part of the course that requires significant mental focus. And it also requires you to be conservative because it's not time yet to press towards the finish. So your main mission on this section as a marathoner is to conserve energy, especially on the hills. You do not want to press any of these climbs as you run the rollers on infield, the false flat on Guadalupe, the climb on 45th, the double climb on Dean Keaton. All of those hills, you want to conserve energy. I told the half marathoners to press. You want to do the opposite of that in this section. You want to conserve, especially on the climbs and make sure that those climbs are naturally slowing you down so that you're not burning too much energy and power on them so that you are ready to press when the course become more, becomes more favorable on the east side. So for this section, if you're a full marathoner, your miles should be anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds per mile slower than your target pace, more or less the entire section. You're also going to see that these, these miles from one to the next aren't the same. They're all going to look a little bit different depending on the terrain of that mile and so you shouldn't you're not going to be able to dial into a consistent rhythm you're gonna have to stay really focused try to run a consistent effort and then let your pace fluctuate a little bit with the terrain again slowing down on those climbs making sure that you're conserving energy at every point in this section and when in doubt be conservative when in doubt in this section be conservative because you still want to make sure that you have energy Again, when the course starts to get more favorable. So conserve, conserve, conserve if you're a marathoner from 10 to 18.5 and run these miles anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds per mile slower than your target pace. I ran this course in 2020 and I can tell you I made the mistake personally of not doing this in this section. I got a little greedy in the middle here and therefore didn't have what I wanted to at the finish. So don't be like me and instead be conservative in this section and make sure you save something for the end. Because when we get to section five, the course starts to turn more favorable for you. Section five, I call it the east side cruise. You're over on the east side now, and you have some net downhill from 18 and a half to 22. You drop about 150 feet. Doesn't mean it's completely downhill, doesn't mean it's completely flat, there are a few little rollers in there, but for the most part, from 18 and half to 22, you start to have more favorable course, you lose some elevation that you've gained in that middle section. And so what I want you to do in this section is progress your pace ever so slightly based on the terrain. Let the downhills naturally carry you. And so you might see in this section that you are 5 to 15 seconds faster than target pace as the hills allow. That's okay if you're a little bit quick. Obviously, on the flat sections, you want to be right about pace. But on the downhills, you can be a little bit faster starting here at 18 and a half. And so progress ever so slightly on these miles without overdoing it. Because again, you still want to make sure that you're holding a little bit back for the final push in the final four miles. But in section five, miles 18 and a half to 22, this is a chance to get a little bit of time back and press ever so slightly. Now, the biggest challenge I think in this section is your own mind games. This is where you hit that proverbial wall in the marathon. You, You cross over mile 20. You also have In this section of the course, typically fewer fans, fewer people cheering for you in this section, of the course. So there are parts of it which can be a little bit lonely. And so that requires you to stay focused as you're in your own head without others on the course supporting you. So make sure that you're ready mentally for this part of the race. I would suggest that you have Mantras specific to this section where you might actually focus on maybe a combination of rhythm and fight mantras to keep your mind Focused to still stay in rhythm and stay relaxed letting the downhills carry you But at the same time be focused and ready for the final push to come in section six So you're getting a little bit of time back here in section five, but you want to th- save just a little bit for that final push So let's talk about section six, miles 22 to 26.2, the final 4.2 miles of the race. This is when you begin your push to the finish, your final close. If that was true for the half marathoners from 10 to 13.1, it is true for the marathoners from 22 to 26.2 where the course is more flat until you get to a few final climbs at the very end of the race. We'll talk about the 11th Street climb at the end, but for the most part in this section, it's pretty flat as you cruise from the east side back towards downtown and then turn around towards the Capitol at about 11th Street. And so what you want to do here is progress gradually to the finish. You can start picking up your pace based on how you feel on the flat sections, saving ever so slightly a little bit for that final 11th street climb but this is where you want to press this is where you want to put those fight mantras to work this is where you want to close this race out like a badass and gradually empty the tank all the way to the finish so you might end up being anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds per mile faster than target pace in this section if you've conserved your energy early then you will have what it takes to finish strongly here at the end you have to trust that and truly it's actually the only way you can have success on this course so make sure you can serve early and then press here at the finish over these final 4.2 miles now the booby tap to avoid here is losing your mind and losing your goal on that final climb up 11th street It's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most diabolical hills on any marathon course in the country where you have a pretty massive climb on 11th street at about three quarters of a mile to the finish line. So it's right at the end. You need to save just a little bit for that climb. There's nothing you can do about it. It will slow you down. All you can do is focus on one foot in front of the other to get to the top. So on that hill, press because that's the last climb. And then you have a, then you have a downhill to the finish from there. And so press that climb, keep one foot moving in front of the other, keep your eyes up to the horizon, keep your arms moving, your legs driving so that you can get over that final hump before you take the final downhill to the finish where you'll turn left on Congress and finish right where the half marathoners do. So save a little bit, both physically and mentally for that final climb, but until you get to it, Press, press, press. Bring this thing home strongly. And if you've done your job by conserving early, you will have what it takes at the end to finish strong. So that's your strategy for the marathoners. Those are your six sections, with that final section being the most important. As we wrap up this pacing discussion and then I'll talk a little bit about nutrition and the mental side, I want to remind you about one of those words that I mentioned, which is precision. When I talk about precision with pacing, I want you to try to, again, control what you can control, dial into those paces as well as you can, but you don't have to be perfect. Don't have to be perfect with it. I think there's a perception that you have to be perfect with your pacing in order to have success. That's not true. What you have to do is just be focused and precise with your pacing. And when you have those misses from one mile to the next, that's okay. Stay present in that moment, make real time adjustments based on what you're feeling and seeing on your garment at the time. And just make sure you're not compounding those mistakes when they come, because there will be miles that aren't perfect. There will be miles that are maybe slightly fast or slightly slow. That's okay. Leave those miles in the past, but then make real time adjustments in the present to make sure that you hit your next mile on pace and just then take each mile one at a time doing your best based on what you've learned from the past how the feel of the course is playing out and just stay present with it that's all I'm asking or when I talk about precision it doesn't mean that the paces have to be perfect it just means that you stay present in those paces and use the past to inform the next mile so that you can then hit that next pace right on plan. So execute the pacing strategy with precision. The other thing that's important with precision and you have absolute control over is your nutrition and hydration strategy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard new and veteran marathoners make mistakes and bonk because they didn't follow their nutrition plan because they quote, felt good. At a certain time and so my reminder for you here with nutrition and hydration is to have a plan that's based on every long run you've done during your training cycle everything you've learned about what works for you in training apply that to your race work with your coach if you have one to figure out what your plan should be for both hydration and nutrition and then just execute it exactly as you planned no matter how you feel on race day Because you're going to need that energy. Regardless of the distance you're covering, you're going to need that energy. You're going to need that hydration. And so make sure you're just simply executing the plan that you have. If you can do that, again, you start to eliminate some of those unknowns. You eliminate the variables out there. And that allows you to give yourself the best chance to feel good on the day. So execute your nutrition and hydration strategy as planned with precision so that you take away all of those variables that you can't control or that you control as many variables as you can. So that's nutrition and hydration. If you have specific questions about that, then you can ask them and I'll get to them at the end. Third topic that I always talk about in planning for a race, and then I'll open it up for Q&A after a few final words, is your mental plan. Make sure that you're ready up here as well as physically. You've done all the work in training. You've prepared your body. Now make sure you're preparing your mind. And there's always three things that I recommend doing as, a, as it relates to preparing your mind. You may have others that you think about as well. The first is dialing into your purpose for the day. Use these final weeks to remember why you're racing this race. Remember why you signed up for it in the beginning. Remember why you want the goal that you might have for it. So reflect back, dial back into your purpose for the day so that you have that top of mind, so that your true north is right at the top of your mind, so that when it does get hard, you're ready to tap into that reason for racing. So that's number one on the mental side. Reflect and dial back into your purpose. Number two, have those mantras ready. These are words, these are phrases, they can even be imagery that you're gonna lean on, that you're gonna think about at various points in the race. And by the way, science tells us that it works because it helps you dissociate from the pain or it maybe helps you meditate at a, in a sort of moving meditation when you need to be relaxed and in control. And I always tell people, I want you to have two types of mantras that you think about. One, rhythm mantras rhythm mantras. Rhythm mantras are for the early parts of the race, for the middle of the race, where you're supposed to be in control, where you're supposed to be relaxed and trying to make it feel as smooth and comfortable as possible. What are you going to tell yourself to get in that rhythm to conserve energy for as long as you can? And I'll remind you that the half marathon and the marathon, they are exercises in efficiency, in burning as little energy as possible for as long as possible, And so you need to make sure that you are on rhythm. So what are your rhythm mantras? Number two, what are your fight mantras? That's for the finish. That's for section four of the half marathon from 10 to 13.1 where it's time to press to that finish line. That's for section six of the marathon from 22 to 26.2 when you know it's going to hurt. But even amidst that pain, you can still press and drive to the finish. So what are you going to tell yourself in those moments to fight all the way to the finish, to leave everything out on the course, regardless of how you're feeling on that day. So what are your fight mantras? And I like to remind people to have at least two in each of those categories. There may be others that you think about and utilize on race day, but if you've done your homework to think about a few, you'll at least have those at the ready. And then you've also opened your mind to perhaps find new ones on race day that might resonate better at the time. So have your mantras. Number three from a mental standpoint is visualization. Visualize this race from start to finish. Doesn't have to be all at once, but could be in small sections on easy runs over the next several weeks. But play this race out in your mind's eye. And that means thinking about all the potential things that your senses might see, hear, smell, feel on race day. From the start line and the chaos of that to those opening miles where you want to be in control and conservative, to those middle miles where it's all about staying on rhythm and being relaxed and putting those rhythm mantras to work, to those later miles where you know you're going to struggle. Think about and visualize your mind working through the pain that may come when it comes, putting those fight mantras to work. And then I want you to visualize pressing all the way to that finish line. For those of you that live in Austin, that also means tying what you know visually about the course to those visualization exercises so that you're actually playing out that movie of the course in your mind's eye so that you can make it feel as real and authentic as possible. And science tells us with visualization that it actually promotes a neurological response that is similar to actually doing it Physically in real life. And so what this does is it allows your body to, to actually th- to believe because of the neuro, the neurological benefits of visualization to actually believe and feel like you've done this before, before you've even gone out there to do it. So it actually, science tells us it works personally. It's something I, I uh, really believe in and will always, always do before a big race. So visualize it from start to finish from that start line energy to that finish line with your goal on the clock as you finish there in the shadows of the Texas State Capitol. Make sure you are sure you do your homework mentally as well, and that might also include other things and thinking about the other tools that you might bring to bear on race day. So let's wrap up this conversation, then I'll open it up for Q&A. Again, courage and precision. Those are your words for the race coming up here in a few weeks. You have already shown courage by signing up. Now own that and face this course by being precise and focused with how you execute it, both from a pacing strategy standpoint, but also from a nutrition, hydration, and mental standpoint as well. Because if you bring all those things to bear, if you control all the variables that you can control, then you're going to give yourself the best chance To smash your goal in this race. And I've seen it before. I've coached athletes to do it. You can do it as well. So, with that final word courage and precision, remember those two thoughts. I'll open it up to questions if you have any. And I did want to mention that we had a comment from James Greenham earlier, who is, I believe, one of our pacers coming up here in the race for the marathon, that he mentioned. the pacers will be out there so i want to comment a little bit on pacers and how you might consider using them the pacers in austin are some of the best in the world We have some of the finest pacers many of them are rogue athletes and so i believe in them and you can count on them but the pacers are instructed to run an even split plan they are not instructed to run a plan like i'm recommending for you and so if you're not ready To run an even split race, meaning your fitness is well beyond your goal time, then you shouldn't run an even split plan. That doesn't mean you can't use the pacers as a reference point. You want to think about them like the world record line in a pool that you might see watching the Olympics. They are that moving pace line for you that can serve as a reference point, but I don't want you to start with your target pacer and try to run with them the whole way because if that's what you do, you will suffer most likely at the end because running an even split course, an even split race on this course is really challenging and requires fitness that is well beyond that target time. And so what I would recommend if you're going to use pacers is to start several pace groups back. One that actually might sync up with with the recommended start pace that I'm recommending for you, which could mean for a marathoner that you're actually Three or four pace groups back of your target pace for that opening mile, just to use them as a reference point to make sure you're starting at a pace that's appropriate for the plan I laid out. And then you can then progress from there based on the plan and use those other pace groups as you pass them as reference points along the way. But don't, I repeat, do not run with your target pace the whole time. That, in my perspective, is a recipe for disaster unless you're well beyond that in terms of what you might be able to run on the day. So that's a comment on Pacers. Any other questions? Oh, I got a question from John and E. All right, John and E runs with Rogue. John and E, so what mantras do I use? Good question. One, I'll remind you on mantras that they need to be personal. They need to mean something and represent something to you. So, so make sure that you're thinking about what's going to personally resonate. I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I'll I'll give you a few that have, have worked for me from a rhythm mantra standpoint. One of my favorites is to just remind myself to smile and soak it in, smile and soak it in. So at that point in the race where it's all about being conservative and conserving and staying relaxed and smooth, just reminding myself over and again, over and over again to smile and soak it in. That's one of my favorite rhythm mantras. From a fight mantra perspective, there's a few that I've used in the past several times. One of them is simply every second counts. That's just reminding me at the end that I shouldn't relent. That doesn't mean I have to be on it all the time, but I have to kind of keep in the top of my mind that every second matters. And so don't neglect to press for every second of the race, even when it hurts. Another one I like to use is when it hurts, push harder. When it hurts, push harder. Another one I like to use is when it hurts, push harder. When it hurts, push harder. That's a reminder that if you're hurting at the end of a race, that it, it doesn't actually get better often. If you slow down, it's still painful. And so if you just press into that pain, then you can get to the finish line sooner and therefore end the pain sooner. So another one I've used is when it hurts, push harder. And those are a few examples, but you've got to think about what's going to work for you and there's no right answers but just think about the words and phrases that you think will resonate to you come up with a few in each category and then be ready to put those to work on race day so good question thank you john and E. and good luck to you on your first marathon all right we didn't have any other questions so i wrapped that instagram live dialogue there and i'll wrap this episode here as well this has been episode 263 of the running rogue podcast if you'd like to redeem the inside tracker offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash rogue running for 25% off. Or if you'd like to learn more about Rogue, go to roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.